This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. Well, go with me to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Today I'm going to change it up. After all that talk about the ESV, I'm actually going to read from the NLT. Uh, we've been looking at this verse to the ESV, but today and this week, actually, the NLT version caught my attention. I just happened to look at it. Uh, I was doing like parallel word studies, and I saw this. And I thought, wow, I really like the way that, that the NLT phrases this. But here's what it says. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. How many of you guys know it's easy to slip back in your old ways to satisfy your own desires? Okay, you didn't know any better then is what Peter says. But now, but now, here's the transition, but now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you, remember we haven't chosen ourselves, we haven't saved ourselves, God did the work. Just as God who chose you is what? Holy. For, and then he reminds them of what the, Old Test, what the Old Testament scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. You see, holiness, as we've been talking about through this series called Habits of the Holy, is really about the person and work of Jesus in us. It's about God living his life in you and through you. I made this comment a few weeks ago that it's not about us trying to live our best lives for God. It's about God living his best life in us. And the reason we do that and the reason we want that to happen is because how many of you know that you, even on your best day, are going to fail? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to trip up, right? You're going to come short of what God wants for your life, which is why we need him who never fails, who is perfect in all of his ways to come and live his life in us and through us. Paul says, I reckon my life dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. So we, we look at our lives through that lens of, of God calling us to something that he wants to help us actually live out. And the good news about God is that he never asked you to do something without providing you the help to do it. Maybe you had a parent who asked you to do something or a teacher or somebody who was in your life who put a standard or an objective in your life that you were unable to reach or meet because they weren't willing to actually get down in the dirt and help you with it. How many of you guys know we serve a, a risen savior who's willing to get down in the dirt with us and help us with the affairs of our life? And he does so by sending his Holy Spirit to come live and reside in us. So if you've put your faith and your hope and your trust in Christ Jesus, which I hope you have, and if you haven't, we'd love to help you do that. But if you have, then the Bible assures you and assures me that his Holy Spirit comes and takes up residence within us, within your heart, within my heart. And we're thankful for that because when he does that, he starts to lead us in this process, in this journey called holiness. And as I've defined it, holiness is not about perfection. It's not about religious legalism. It's not about obligation to some standard that you can't meet. No, it's about being set apart and made distinct and separate from the world, meaning your life should begin to look more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. And the way that that happens, and the whole big idea of this series is through your habits, through your practices, through the ways that you become shaped to look more and more like Jesus. What am I talking about? I'm talking about spiritual formation. God wants your life to look more and more like the sun, and he's gonna provide the grace and the means and the spirit to do it, which is awesome, which means that all we really need to do is cooperate. All we really need to do is yield. All we really need to do is get out of the way. 
How many of you would say, Pastor Jason, I'm a little bit of a control freak. I like to have my hands on the steering wheel at all times. I like to be in control of my life. I like to be in control of my finances. I like to be in control of my destiny. I am the maker of my own way. How many of you guys would say that you're a self-made, independent, driven, ambitious person? A lot of hands went up in this room. Praise God, which means we have some very strong-willed and independent people. All right, hallelujah, let's do it. Let's take the city together, come on. But how many of you guys know that that can be a detriment to you when God wants to have his hands on the steering wheel, when God wants to be in control, when God wants to work in and through your life? And so the invitation for us as a church, as individuals, is this, is to yield to the work of God, to yield to the work of the Spirit so that he can begin to do what he's wanted to do in us all along which is help us to look more and more like the people that we were created to look like. And the pattern, or you might say the template, the mode, the model, is Jesus. Jesus, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus, the the firstborn of the righteous. Jesus, the one who we actually are called to look like and emulate and become more like. The Bible says it this way, that we are being actively conformed into the image of the Son. So this is about confirmation, this is about formation, this is about transformation, this is about you looking like the person God has always destined you to look like. And he does this through the calling of holiness on our lives. So over the course of these last weeks, we've looked at different habits of what it means to be holy, of of walking this out. We talked about prayer and fasting, we talked about being a people of spirit and truth, we talked about worship and presence, And last week, we talked about fellowship and unity, of coming into common union with each other. Today, I want to talk to you about this next habit of the holy, what I'm calling generosity and stewardship. Generosity and stewardship. And I want to talk to you about why I believe that we should practice this and have this formed in us as the people and family of God. To begin, I want to say this. Because God is holy, that's what 1 Peter tells us, because God is holy... And God is a giver by direct correlation, our giving, our generosity, our stewardship, the way that we spend our time, talent, and treasure should also be holy. Do you guys agree with that today? Our giving, the way that we give our lives because God is holy should also be holy. Meaning it should be set apart. It should be distinct. It should look different than the world. You see, when the world gives, it does so often for the cause of its own benefit. When the people of God give, they often do so for the cause of others to benefit. When the world gives, it often expects an earthly return. When the people of God give, they expect a heavenly reward. When the world gives, it does so typically when it's convenient for them to give. When the people of God give, they do so often when it's a sacrifice to give. You see what I'm getting at? Our giving needs to be holy and different and set apart and distinct from the world if it's going to be holy. And the truth is, everything that we have, everything that we have been given as believers in God is because of what God first gave us. Because God first gave us his life. How many of you guys know that God is the, the giver of life? Here's what Job chapter 33 verse 4 says, the spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. God is the giver of life, but he's not just the giver of life, he's the giver of wisdom. James 1.5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him or her ask of God who gives to all liberally, lavishly, and without reproach, and it will be 
given to him. God is the giver of wealth. 1 Timothy 6, 7 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to become haughty or proud, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. God is the giver of increase. Let's put it up there. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, So neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. God is the giver of rest. He gives us rest from all of our earthly affairs and burdens. How many are thankful that he's the giver of rest today? Matthew eleven twenty eight assures us, Jesus says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. That's the promise. God's also the giver of strength, and he's the giver of peace. Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. He's the giver of strength. He's the giver of peace. And he's the giver of a future and a hope. To all of his people, Jeremiah 29, 11 says it this way. You guys know it. For I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you what? A future and a hope. And how does God give us that future and a hope? Through his son, Jesus, and through the power of his Holy Spirit. Because God is also the giver of his son and the giver of the spirit. John three sixteen reminds us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Luke eleven thirteen says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So God is a giver, amen? I think the Bible is pretty stinking clear that God loves to give. That out of himself, he just pours out love and blessing and peace and strength and grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The word grace in the Greek means gift. God loves to give us gifts. How many are thankful for that today? I love when I get to be the recipient of gifts. I love when my wife buys me things for my birthday. I love when she gets me things for Christmas and she loves when I do the same for her. How many are thankful that you have people in your life that know how to bless you and give you gifts? Well, how much more so, the Bible tells us right here, that God, in his infinite wisdom and in all of his sovereignty and all of his strength and all of who he is, just loves to give because he's a giver, because he's holy. And because he's holy and because he's a giver, our giving should be viewed as holy as well. I say all this to showcase the fact that God is a generous God. And because God is generous, we too should be generous in all that we do. One of our core values here at this church is that we would be a people who live a life of lavish generosity. The word lavish means that we, we are, we're, extraordinary, we're extravagant with it. We go to extraordinary measures to, to look for ways to bless people and to give and to be generous. It's, it's who God is, so it's who we wanna be, amen? It's what we aspire to, it's what we practice. When some of you have needs and you come to the church and you say, you know, I've got this going on in my life, it's always our first inclination to go, how can we help? How can we be a blessing? How can we step in and meet that need above and beyond what even the need is? Because God goes above and beyond, amen? So the truth is this, biblical and spirit-led generosity is always gonna be joyful, it's always gonna be loving, and it's always gonna be costly, all right, so when we give, it should be a joyful affair. You guys hear me say it week after week. We only ask that you just be joyful about it. Why? Because we should see this as an amazing opportunity for us to use what God has given us to be a blessing to other people. 
That should bring you joy, and I hope it does. It means that it should also be loving. We should, we should love to give. There should be this desire for us to love people so well that when they have something going on in their life, we want to jump to meet the need. We want to jump to be generous in all that we do. And of course, it also means that it should be costly. Yes, costly, meaning that it should be attached to something of value or worth in our lives. So I want to ask the question today as we start, what are you currently giving that is costing you something? What are you currently giving that is costing you something? The reason this is a, a core value for us is that we want this to be connected to every part of our life. We want this to become habitual in our life. We want our, our giving to be expressed through things that actually cost us to give. David said it this way, I will not give the Lord something that costs me nothing. It's important that we grab a hold of this, I believe, because God responds to generosity. God responds to your faith when you give. The way that we express this is through our time, through our talents, and through our treasure. Say it with me, time, talents, and treasure. All right, so let's break it down, time. Time is all about where and how you spend your moments, your minutes, and your days. Your moments, your minutes, and your days. Let me ask you, how are you stewarding or spending or investing your moments, minutes, and days? Do you find yourself uh, caught up in things that are frivolous and that have no meaning? Do you find yourself binging Netflix or spending all your time shopping on Amazon? I mean, what are you giving your time to? What are you stewarding? The reason we use this word stewardship is because to be a steward means to be a, a, a manager of. It means God has entrusted you and I with something that he wants us to take care of, that he wants us to look after. So let me ask it this way. How are you stewarding your time? The truth is this. We all have the same amount of time in a day. And we all have the same amount of time to do exactly and precisely what Jesus calls us to do. It means he doesn't call you to do anything that you don't have enough time for. Isn't that freeing? Anybody ever feel like, man, there's not enough time in a day? <laughs> Some days. Oh, I wish I had more time, right? Let me encourage you. God has given you just enough time in your day to do exactly and precisely what Jesus wants you to do. Now, this might be an area where God wants to highlight something in your life today. So let him do that. Let him prompt you. This might be an area where he wants to help you better manage your time. <laughs> Better, better steward your time. So here's a little application for you. You might need to download a calendaring app. You might need to use a day planner. You might need to get a vision board and set some priorities in your life and how you use and value your time. You might need to even see a counselor or ask a pastor or a trusted friend to help you with this because your time is valuable. You guys agree with that today? Your time is valuable. And God wants you to invest it well. He wants you to steward it well. So how are you spending your moments, minutes, and days? How are you giving of your time? Second thing, what about your talents? Where and how do you apply your life skills and your gifts? Where and how do you apply your life skills and gifts? This is important. Where has God equipped you in your world today to make a difference? Where has God equipped you specifically to make a difference in your workplace with the people that are in your life right now? Think about some of those folks right now with me for a moment. 
Think about the people that you work with or people that you know. How has God equipped you with talents and with gifts to make a difference in their life? That's what I want us to think about for a second here. What are the natural talents and the spiritual gifts that God has given you? Well, what's the difference, Pastor Jason? Natural talents are the things that you were born with. These came because of mom and dad. Thank you, mom and dad. I like this saying. Uh, I heard this pastor say it once. We have grandpa in our bones and Jesus in our hearts. <laughs> you got things in your life that, that your parents gave you, that your grandparents gave you that are, that are part of just, right? Your hereditariness. You're just being born into it, having those natural talents. But your spiritual gifts are different than your natural talents. Your spiritual gifts are what God gave you upon rebirth or regeneration or becoming a born-again believer. And these are things that he equips you with so that you can be and make a difference in the world. So I want to ask, are you a wise and faithful steward of your talents, of your talents and gifts? A little application, you might need to take a spiritual gift assessment. We do this at our Be Courageous class on the fourth Sunday of every month where we help people dive into this head first and trying to maybe figure out maybe some of the ways that God's gifted us as people. It's important. Um, maybe you need to take a personality assessment. Maybe you, you need to talk to a trusted friend or, or start serving somewhere. I found that the best way to figure out what you're good at is to just try lots of things. Amen? And sometimes it's like, especially when we're young, we're like, I don't know what I'm good at. Well, try something. Serve somebody. Jump into someplace and start helping someone and you'd be surprised. You'll figure it out pretty quickly. In fact, people will come along and go, hey, you know what? You're really good at this, right? Isn't that great when somebody does that to you, by the way? Just takes the time to kind of point out something. Like, hey, Jeff, you're really great with this. Or, hey, Kay, you're really great with that. Well, we don't know that until we jump in sometimes and start applying ourselves. So where are you applying your, your life skills? Those would be your natural talents and your spiritual gifts. And this is important. Because God wants us to use our talents to serve people. Jesus said it this way, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. See, the heart of God is this outflowing, outworking spirit of generosity to give and to serve others. Often those who don't deserve it, often those who don't, right, need it, but those who God has called us to love and to bless, amen? And so a big part of the way that we do that is through our time, number one today, and our talents, number two. And then, of course, today, number three, our treasure. I want to ask this question, where and how do you steward your wealth and resources? Some of you might go, I'm not a wealthy person. Listen, if you live in the United States of America today, you are a wealthy person. I can take you to India, and I can show you what real poverty looks like. And I'm not saying there's not true poverty and real poverty in this country, there is. But come on, there are people that live on less than a dollar a day. And, and, and here we are spending that on a, on a bean burrito from Taco Bell or an $8 cup of coffee from Starbucks. Come on, we're wealthy, okay? So the question is, how are we stewarding our wealth? It's funny, interestingly enough, Jesus has a lot to say about money and wealth. In fact, he talks a lot about it in the New Testament. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, and I want us to hear this. He says, for where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Why does he say that, church? Because our, our hearts are always connected to our treasure. Our hearts 
are always connected to our treasure, amen? Luke 16, verse 13 in the NLT says it this way, no one can serve two masters, Jesus would go on to say, for you will either hate one and you'll love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. I like the way the NLT says that. It really captures the essence of what God is after. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Friends, the truth is God doesn't want you to be enslaved to your money. He doesn't want money to be your master. He wants you to learn how to master your money. I only got a couple amens on that one. <laughs> it's true. God wants you to learn how to master your money and not be mastered by or be enslaved to it. And this is so important, you guys, because he knows how much our hearts get wrapped up in the way that we spend and use our money. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our heart is as well. He knows they're linked, they're connected. And as much as I wish that sometimes they weren't, come on, how many of you guys know our hearts are connected to our money? Because our money is where we place our value. It's what we work for. It's what we save up for. It's what we spend. It's how we allocate resources, how we make impact. It's how we move forward in life. A lot of what we do is, is wrapped up in our money. That's why Jesus wants us to be very careful about it. He wants us to master it, to be masters of it, and to see it for what it is, a tool, a resource to be utilized, and not something that enslaves us and traps us. This is why, as a church, we practice tithing. This is a big reason why we do this. When we tithe, we're putting aside a specific sum of our income every month that belongs solely to the Lord. It's holy unto God. It's set apart. It's distinct. It's separate from the rest of the world, like I've been defining holiness. When we tithe, we are essentially honoring God with the first fruits of our income, or the, the first 10% of our income. And this acknowledges that that all of our income and all of our wealth and all of our resources come from God. When we do this, we're acknowledging that it all belongs to him and is a gift from him for us to manage and steward well. When we do this, we're also saying that we trust and believe that God can do more with our 10% than we can do with our whole hundred. God can do more with our 10% than we can do with our whole hundred. I wonder if some of us believe that today. Now, the question always arises at this point. Whenever preachers talk about money or talk about giving or specifically tithing, does God need my money? The answer is no. <laughs> God does not need your money, but he wants your heart. He wants your heart. And he knows this. The only way that he can get access to your heart is through your money. It's through the way that you give. Tithing is is one of the best ways, not the only way. I know people that give 20%, I know people that give 30%, I know people that give 90%, bless God. It's not the only way, but it's one of the most exclusive ways that God is given access to our hearts. And I love that. Tithing also frees us from the grip of materialism. Tithing forces us to budget <laughs> and look at what we're spending and not be frivolous with how many trips to Starbucks we take, or how many movies we download on Apple TV, or I don't know, pick your poison. <laughs> Amazon binge it late at night. Nope, <laughs> buy it now. Lip, 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 lip. <laughs> I love those videos of like little kids that have gotten access to their parents' Amazon account, and they just were hitting the buy it now button, and like 20 items showed up at their doorstep, and parents were like, what is going on, right? You might be that person. 
And God wants to help you in this area. Tithing helps us get our hearts off of the grip off the things that sometimes consume us. And we live in a consumer driven culture. It's all about what we're buying. It's all about what we're after, right? The flashy new thing. You guys that watched the Super Bowl last week were inundated with and bombarded and blitzed with commercials trying to get your money, right? Was there any commercial, by the way, apart from maybe the He Gets Us Jesus commercial that wasn't trying to get your money? No, everybody's after your money. So the question isn't about who's after your money or whether your money is going to be controlled, but the question is by whom and or what? Is God going to give, be given exclusive access to your money? Does God get to speak into the way that you utilize your resources? This is why we tithe. Ultimately, tithing helps us decide who we are going to trust with our wealth. The question really comes down to this. Is God your provider and source or are you? You know, this whole idea that you've got to be the provider in your family, men, I got to tell you something. That's a lie. You're not the provider in your family. God is. God is. Every good and perfect gift that comes down from heaven is from him. All the wealth that we have, all of the increase, all of the money that we get is from him. The Bible tells us that he gives us the power to get wealth. He brings increase, right? We just looked at some of those scriptures. It all is from him and for him. And I like this. If he can get it through you, he can get it to you. If he can entrust you with it, he can get more to you. The problem is he can't entrust some of what he wants to give us because he knows we'll spend it on ourselves. (laughs) Come on, I've been guilty. You get that bonus and you're like, oh, sweet, I've been... I've been waiting to go to Nordstrom for a while. You know, I got that nice little outfit picked out, new pair of shoes. Come on, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, easy to do. But the question we need to wrestle with is, is our heart in God's hands or Amazon's? Is our, God, is our heart in God's hands or Target's? Is our heart in God's hands or just fill in the blank today? At the end of the day, the issue is not if your money is gonna be spent or controlled, as I already said, it's going to be, but by whom? The, the issue is not whether your life is going to be affected or not. It will be. But the question is, is God the provider and source or are you? Or is the stock market? Or is, come on, the gas pump? Who decides your economic fate? Today I want to challenge us that it needs to be the Lord. That it needs to be God. And for some of us, this is an area that we, we haven't allowed him yet to really be Lord of, meaning we don't, we don't let him to speak into this part of our, of our lives. We're like, God, you get this part, you get this part, you get this part, but you don't get to tell me how to spend my money. That's mine. And I want to challenge and encourage some of you today to let the Lord speak to you about your money. It might seem scary at first, but can I tell you something? It's always for your good. Everything God wants to do in your life and in my life is for our good, amen? So let me encourage you, when it comes to your tithing, When it comes to your giving, your gift is not a debt you owe, but a seed that you sow. And every gift and every act, there is a seed. And when we give our tithe, when we give that 10%, it's like taking the seed of an apple core and planting it in the ground. How many of you guys know you don't eat your apple core, right? You plant the seed of that core into the ground. Well, that's how we used to do it back in the day, before like bioengineering and everything else. But some of you are eating your seed. And because of that, you don't have any orchards. 
and you don't have any other means in your life that God wants to bring about in your life to bring blessing and opportunities to be a blessing as well. So don't eat your seed, plant it. Plant your seed and trust that God will bring increase, amen? That's what he says. He says that he will bring increase to what it is that we sow. And how many of you guys know that God doesn't just bring increase? Come on, he multiplies it. He exponentially blesses it beyond. So the little bit that we offer him, that we give him, that we, that we entrust him with, he takes it and he does more with that 10% than we could do with the whole hundred. And that's what's so beautiful about our God is that he never matches what we deserve. Come on, he doesn't give us a one-to-one return. He, he gives us a hundred-fold return, a 30-fold return, a 60-fold return. He's a 30, 60, 100 multiplier. <laughs> and I love that about God because his heart is to bless. It's to overwhelm you with more so that you can be a blessing in the lives of other people because you can't give what you don't have. And some of you have these desires to be like, man, I want to buy my mom a car. I want to pay off my parents' mortgage. I want to do these things. It starts with your habits of generosity now, not someday when you win the magical lottery. And even if you do win the magic lottery, you're going to probably blow it on stupid stuff anyways. You guys seen the studies they do on people that win the lottery? They're broke. (laughs) Because they don't know how to steward what, what they have. And as a result, they waste it. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want us to waste our seeds he wants us to generously plant them and to honor the Lord with them. And when we do that, we can be sure that God's going to do what he does best, which is to cause it to grow in exponential ways. I like what Psalm 115 verse 14 says, and, and this is my prayer for you today, okay? So if you're struggling with generosity or with giving, here's my prayer for you. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. A great question to ask yourself in all of this is who ultimately benefits when you give generously of your time and your talents and your treasure? Who is the benefactor? Who is going to benefit from your giving today? Obviously, we know that we do, right? We know that what is given is multiplied by God beyond our own natural ability and often The way that God moves in our giving defies our wildest imaginations. I've seen that in my own life. But I would also add that the next generation benefits as well. Your children and their children and their children benefit as well. Meaning that your giving has generational impact. When my parents grabbed a hold of this for their life, they didn't know at the time that it was going to affect my life and affect my children's life. But it did. Their willingness to trust God at his word and begin to just tithe and begin to just give what they had. When my dad first started out, he didn't have much, so he said, God, what can I give? And and God said, well, you've got all these suits. I noticed that you like to wear a lot of suits, so why don't you go take some of those suits and just go find people that need suits? So he started giving people suits, and God just kept blessing them with more and more suits. And that led to other things, which led to other things, which led to other things. And he went from a life of not having anything in poverty and lack to being blessed so that he could be a blessing. One of the first times that my wife and I began to to practice this, we started small and then we began to just increase each and every year what we gave. And our goal has been for the last 10 years to give more each year. And by the grace of God, we've seen that happen. Why? Because God knows that he can entrust us with that. Because he knows we're not gonna eat our seed, but we're gonna go plant it and we're gonna go give it and we're gonna go sow it. We're gonna go bless people. And what I'm talking about isn't just about a one and done thing, you guys. It's about having a spirit of generosity. Come on, you should tip your barista as well. 
You should tip people well. You should, be, you should pick up the tab for other people. Don't sit there and, and let somebody else always pay for breakfast or lunch or, or dinner. Don't be slow to grab your wallet like, oh, hold on a second. Let me, let me get my wallet. Let me take care of that for you. Oh, you got it? Okay, thanks. Come on, some of you need to be quick to be generous and watch how God just blesses. I'm telling you guys, this isn't about us being blessed for our, for our own selfishness. This is about you having a heart of generosity, of becoming more like God, who is a generous giver, amen? So the final question I want us to wrestle with is this. What will your legacy of giving be? What will your story be? What will people say about the way that you gave your time, talent, and treasure? Will your story be, well, he made a lot of money and bought a nice car and, and bought a nice house? Come on, that's shallow. Or will your, your legacy be her giving changed the trajectories of generations? Her giving changed lives. His giving modeled the heart of God, the giver to the world. And as a result, people's eternities were forever changed. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, what changed our lives was an act of generosity by a gracious God who gave it all for us. You know what I want my legacy and my story to be? That guy gave it all. <laughs> he just gave it all. He didn't take anything with him. He just, he just spent his life, like Paul says, like a drink offering. He just poured it all out for the cause of Christ, for the sake of others, for the sake of others to be blessed. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody that wants that for their story as well today, amen? Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at courageouschurch.com.